forge your inner armor. Welcome to the Inner Armor Podcast with Dr. Timothy Royer, where we explore ways to train our brains and bodies to become dynamically resilient so that we can all, from professional athletes to ordinary people, perform at our potential. Well, welcome to the Inner Armor Podcast. My name is Greg Smith, and I'm here, as always, with Dr. Timothy Royer, the founder of Royer Neuroscience and Inner Armor, and we're excited to have him here. We've got kind of an extra special guest today, and to sort of set the episode up a little bit, we talk an awful lot on this podcast and in the book and in the videos about the things that set our autonomic nervous system into sympathetic mode, the infamous fight or flight mode. And typically, we talk about physical dangers, like you're being chased by a bear or whatnot, or we talk about psychological stress. You're worried about something, you're anxious, the what-ifs and what-abouts that Doc talks a lot about. But there's a third category, and that is physiological stress. This is when we have internal things going on in our body that trigger the protocols of our autonomic nervous system to kick into sympathetic. And Doc is going to be exploring that in the next two episodes. So Doc, we're excited to have you unpack this sort of third category of autonomic stress. Yes, I'm excited about the episodes coming up and actually have two family members joining me for these who are experts in their field. And they've actually taught me a lot along the way. You'd be amazed how many of the different things that we uh, address in Royer Neuroscience and Inner Armor that really come out of my interaction with Amy, who's going to be joining us today, who is a uh, functional nutrition nurse, an RN of close to 30 years. And Amy is also my business partner in Royer Neuroscience. And we've spent a lot of time looking at brains, studying elite athletes, also people with significant clinical issues. And Amy's worked with the best of the best out there. And so we're going to bring her into the podcast to try to glean some knowledge from her about the nervous system, but particularly uh, looking at nutrition and gut health, which is her area of specialty. She also does a lot of work in hormone management, which we probably won't get into a ton today, but today is a lot about gut nutrition. So Amy, you want to introduce yourself and kind of give the uh, listeners out there a little bit about your background and what's leading us to this discussion today. Absolutely. It is a pleasure to be here. I'm a loyal listener. So I'm excited to be part of the podcast today. So goes back a long ways how I got into the gut interest, but initially just was an RN and practiced in a hospital. Now, looking back, I think, oh my word, how many things we didn't do with the gut back then, but started working with Doc probably 25 years ago. And we were attempting to work primarily with the brain But this thing kept happening where we couldn't ignore that everything is connected. So we delved into the breathing and we learned a ton together on that. And we worked with clients and saw the incredible impact of integrating breathing into brain training. And we were, you know, amazed. In fact, at one point in our company, we tried to get rid of it because we were like, it's just such a pain, you know, the belt and, you know, all the extra stuff we have to teach the clients. 
and our results were not as good. So we were like, okay, you cannot separate these organs and still try to optimize the brain. So in the next couple of years, I was home raising our kids and feeding them all kinds of things that now I'm laughing about. But watching kids grow, four different kids, four very, very different kids and seeing how they respond to their environment and, and nutrition over time, my eyes were open to the fact that not every gut tract is the same and that the gut tract and the gut activity influences the brain activity. So you can imagine that our family of six was all very involved in our business. So all of us were doing brain training and breathing and kind of really weird in our self-awareness levels. <laughs> but like, like, for example, you just didn't go to a soccer game and just play soccer. You were analyzing, you know, performance and the body's response and the body's recovery and everything in a 10-year-old. So that's just a little bit weird. But over, over time, I started to learn a little bit that my knowledge and my science background was very limited in the area of nutrition and digestion. And it came to light through my son, Joe, who decided to go on this ketosis journey or do the ketogenic diet. And I was like, sure, whatever. Let me know what I need to buy. And in like three months, I watched this 16-year-old transform into something completely different because of what he was putting into his body. And so that started my journey of being very, very interested in nutrition. And that's just grown over the years to the point where I finally took a little class about it was like a 10 month educational journey um, with a certification in functional nutrition, which if you're not familiar with functional nutrition, to me, all that means is let's look at the way something is supposed to function. And then when looking through that lens, we can figure out what's going wrong um, instead of just reacting to what things that are wrong and can we fix them immediately. So. Functional nutrition for me brought in all the organ systems and forced me to learn how each of those different systems impact the overall digestive process. But all along, I was kind of looking at it through the brain lens. So it was kind of a fun journey of applying what I was learning into what we were already doing at Royal Neuroscience. So along the way, I just became more and more passionate with it just because of my own journey my kids' journeys, and then being able to help some of our clients start to integrate principles. And that brings me to where I am today. I'm still learning all the time. Probably my greatest passion within the field is to try to simplify because it's so incredibly complex and it keeps getting more complex because now it's a really popular field of study. So the amount of information is just bursting. It's growing exponentially. And so I know I can't keep up with the mounds of information coming in. So it's more, I want to use my brain or my platform to simplify the information into things that we can apply in day-to-day -day life. And so honestly, I start every day with my own self and that. And then I just try to use those principles within the work that we do and go from there. Yeah, I think like with a lot of things over the years, I'm kind of late to the table with it. And Amy's pushing me to, uh, hey, 
you know, read this book. We recommend a lot Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers, uh, which is a great book. But I think that was three years of Amy saying, you have to read this book. You have to apply it to the brain. And I'm like, oh, come on. And then I read it. And that's pretty much the foundation of everything that we've done the last 15 years. But gut health has been uh, one of those things where Amy has talked about it over the years. And as she, you know, as you grew in your learning of that, but it wasn't until I really started to apply that with some clients. And I'm thinking one elite level pro client that I worked with for eight years at trying to adjust his brain and uh, trying to improve his brain. And he would have slight changes. And I mean, we tried everything. I mean, we looked at all the breathing, the heart rate, the biofeedback, the brain training. I mean, this guy was consistent. Part of some of his concerns was that he was uh, very obsessive. So I never had to worry about him not doing his training. He would do it all the time, but his brain just wouldn't move. And I remember Amy kept saying, hey, let's look at his gut. Let's look at his gut. And I'm like, well, this guy does everything. And sure enough, we looked at his gut. We did a, a, a we call it a poop test, a stool sample, and uh, sent it out, looked at his microbiome. And we saw some uh, irregularly, irregularities in that. And we were like, oh, I wonder what this means. And then Amy, through her experience, said, hey, let's, we're going to try him on these prebiotics, probiotics, I think is how that we started that. And I'm not joking, within days, almost hours, something that I had struggled with with this client for years literally transformed. And I knew that because I was looking at the EEG. I was looking at his brain constantly. It was like somebody gave him a brand new brain. And for the last four years, we've seen major differences in this person. And he'll tell you that it transformed his life. Well, that was the beginning of client after client that we've said, hey, we got to look at the gut. So, Aim, can you kind of explain um, why the gut is so important and how this relates to the brain and some things we should be thinking about? Yeah. So I think what I would do is maybe classify it, I'm going to say in two areas, and, and then maybe you branch off from there. But one area is just physiologically, it's connected or anatomically, it's connected. And that's through the what we call now the gut-brain access. But I believe it's primarily through the vagus nerve, which when I was in school, all we thought was that the brain tells the body what to do. But now we know that it's actually bidirectional and that there is afferent nerves and efferent nerves. So one leaving and one coming and there's a circle of communication. So that was exciting to find, find that out. And then I believe that they've actually found that there's more communication going from the gut to the brain than vice versa, which is kind of funny because it sort of stands everything up on its head. So, but it does also immediately bring more importance to gut health because you're like, hey, if this is talking to my brain and I'm trying to optimize my brain, then I've got to listen to my gut. So um, to me, that is super exciting. There's countless other ways that I could say that it's all connected, but I'd like to just, you know, just kind of stick to that gut brain access way. But the other thing is something that Greg already mentioned is the sympathetic nervous system or the activation of the sympathetic nervous system through inflammation. So if you think about your gut track or your GI system as this 
insanely complex tube that runs through your body and allows exterior parts of the world to come inside of your body and be integrated into your body. And it's really quite a scary thought. And so when I think about the GI check, I think about the immune system and how unbelievably important this immune system is. Otherwise, if you just got the smallest little germ going in your body, you're done. And so there's an army working all the time in our digestive tract that is protecting us from the outside world while being 100% exposed to the outside world all the time. So you have this alive army, but you also have the structures of a fortress that protect you, which we have through the lining of the GI tract, which is another like unbelievable miracle in and of itself. And, you know, it's got layers and layers to it. And it's got substances that we release at the right time that make it possible to digest like a piece of metal, but at the same time, not digest ourselves. And it's got the ability to sift through what to keep and what to let go. And it's just when you start reading about it, it it just blows your mind what's happening all the time. But on the flip side of that is when we don't take care of it and when the fortress is vulnerable or the army is not prepared, then we have everything start to fall apart. And in the general language, we would call it leaky gut, which is some people hate it, especially in the medical field, because it's not quite particular enough because it just means it's leaking. But they had to make another word for it called gastrointestinal hyperpermeability. But we know that it just means that if you think of it in a defensive way or a military way, is there's a break in the in the barrier. And so as soon as you have that, then your body initiates the inflammation response in an effort to protect you. So if you think about the way we talk about, you know, being in orange status or whatever at the airport, you know, this is exactly what happens inside of our body. We're at these different status levels of reaction and protection. Our body's trying to do it for us. But if we're not responding to that or we don't have an awareness of it, it can get pushed over to the edge and it can then become something that's literally detrimental to our health. So it's kind of a strange thing, but it would fall almost into the category of being autoimmune or where the reaction is so heightened that not only does it drain your system of its abilities to react to more and more things, but it's almost getting confused about what it's reacting to and can start to be detrimental um, to our overall health. So I might be getting ahead of myself here, but what I'm trying to say is it can start very simple, like just a small breach in the system, but it can move all the way into being a chronic illness where you're like, how can I literally address this chronic illness through my diet? And that's where I think we have so much to offer, but you have to be so diligent and so much of an advocate for yourself because the system is not there for that kind of helping. But whereas your client that we talked about doing so many things right, his was almost like 
um, that people have this theory of the how many holes are in the roof. Like, do you just, if there's 30 holes, you know, are you going to get any benefit by patching five of them? Well, he would be the kind of person who had patched like 29 and we came along and gave him that last patch. And it was like, whoa, that, you know, blew it away. But he was already doing so many things, right? It was like the last thing that he needed to flip that. Man, there's a lot here to unpack really cool. I think you've mentioned sometime like we're this thin membrane that kind of protects us is just the the difference between kind of life and death, you know, is that how thin this membrane is within the system that is trying to decide what's good and bad for us. And when you talk about autoimmune and those kind of things, it's like the system gets confused because it's fighting so much. Can you just take us anatomically? Like when we say the digestive system, I just think my stomach, right? You know, like uh, where I put food, you know, but go from, can you just, and I, I, I love when you kind of describe it like, oh yeah, all these things are super important to uh, working with the digestive system. So can you take us kind of through the different anatomical sections of this and why each one might be important? to this whole process and maybe some things that we need to be aware of before we get into some of these other deeper things? Okay. That's a huge question. (laughs) So I'm going to do my best to make it as simple as possible, but you are starting your digestive process before you ever stick anything in your mouth because the very thought of eating begins to produce some of the enzymes that you need to start digesting. So it's it's a really sweet thought, but just taking a moment of being grateful for your food is something that has always happened throughout history. And in all different religions and all different cultures, they typically have some form of a pause before eating. And it's very functional. It allows Mm. you to begin to produce your saliva. So you put your food in your mouth and you chew, which when you chew, you create more surface area. When you create more surface area in the food, then there's more availability for the enzymes to do their work breaking it down. So if you ever worked in the lab or science, you know that when you're trying to break something down, if you stir the dish, it will break down faster. If you heat it, it will break down faster, things like that. Those are all starting in your mouth. And so you get the chewing, breaking it, making more surface area, then you get the enzymes working, and then you start sending it down your esophagus, which the swallow... What's the recommended t- amount of chewing? Because I don't chew my, probably my food as much as I should. And I've been told that I need to chew more. But this makes a lot of scientific sense, right? Like if I chew it, I create more surface area, which then I think is going to help us as we go through this. So yeah, like what are we talking about? Well, people do say 50 to 100 chews, which (laughs) I don't actually count while I'm doing it. But you can get a head start by cutting your food smaller. Because I've seen some people take some very large bites. And I think to myself, that's going to take a lot of chewing to get that to break down. So anyway, um, and you got to think about things from history are so interesting because that's where people did it right is more further back in time. The way we eat nowadays is a setup for disaster because we, mm. eat on, we eat on the run, we smash food in our mouth. We do a lot of handheld food because then we don't mm. even have to cut it. We just smash it in. 
And um, so it gets kind of, it gets kind of crazy. Um, but yes, cutting your food smaller is really helpful and then chewing longer. And then it's amazing what you do with the swallow mechanism because if you, you should swallow small amounts and, and there's even a, a term for what, a, what that is that you swallow, then the digestive system gets going where it's me- muscular and it starts moving it down your esophagus. And I think it takes seven seconds to go from the swallow down to the um, sphincter that leads into the stomach. And then that is amazing because that lets in just like that one little bit of food and then it shuts the door behind it because the stomach is extremely acidic and you want acid in your stomach. So our culture, we say, oh, I have acid stomach. Like I need to go take a Tums because I have this acid stomach. Well, it's kind of the worst thing you can do. It will soothe your throat, but it will decrease the acidity of the stomach. And you need the acid to be breaking down that food in the stomach. So we have a problem in our medical system because one of the top given drugs is a proton pump inhibitor, which slows down the production of the hydrochloric acid that we need. Hmm. And, you know, the advertisement is right. It brings you instant relief to your heartburn. But now the stomach is not as acidic. The food is not going to get broke down as it should, broken down as it should within the stomach. So now you're going to pass it into the small intestine and it's in a bigger form than we want it to be in because it mm-hmm. did not get broken down while in the stomach. But now it's gotten passed on to the next form of digestion and it's too large of a molecule. So that is the beginning of the inflammation response because now that small intestine is basic in nature. It's not acidic. So you literally go from the stomach being so acidic that it I'm not kidding you. It can digest metal. It can digest, like there's these crazy stories of people who ate an airplane or something, you know, (laughs) just to prove it. But you can, and also if you watch Breaking Bad, you know that hydrochloric acid will digest anything. So, (laughs) so anyway, you're supposed to digest with the hydrochloric acid, break this stuff all down into these perfect little pieces and then send them into the small intestine, which is very basic. So you literally switch gears from being acidic to basic just by walking, going through that door, that sphincter. And then the small intestine is long, like 22 to 28 feet long inside of you. And the surface area is ridiculous because it is like a shag carpet of little, Mm -hmm. um, these little villi that that's where the absorption of the good stuff happens. And it is, it's like a, it's like a a miracle. It's amazing what happens in there. That's where you're like absorbing the things that you need out of that food before you pass it on into the large intestine. And in the large intestine then is where this massive amount of your microbiome lives. And Hmm. in there, they take the remaining things that are good for them. And then they, the, large intestine then simply creates, I'm just going to use poop in this podcast, it creates poop out of the leftovers. And so in a perfect world, 
the microbiota gets everything that it needs while passing, while this food is passing its last way through the large intestine. And then that beautiful colon just makes a nice formed poop. And we wake up in the morning and get rid of that because if it was to stay in there, it's not going to be good for us because it's just full of waste. And if you leave it in there, it's going to be more toxic to your system and, and create gastric or not gastric, but like cramping and unhealthy things by staying around in there. So we want to get that moving out on a daily basis. And that's it from start to finish. Wow. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. I mean, it is amazing. And that's this we're like you said, we're taking in this external thing, passing it through, getting as much of the good out of it as we can, and then we get the bad out. Wow. So where does the breakdown where do the problems happen? Like what is what are the things that we talked about this leaky gut, the membrane gets uh, we get this autoimmune response. So when we're looking at these poop studies, uh, you know, what are we looking for? And can you explain that a little bit? Yeah. So we all knew we were going to have to get around to talking about poop and we can just entitle this like the poop podcast or, you know, there's probably a lot of fun names we could give it. But one of the most amazing things that we have... at our fingertips is our poop because the poop is literally like your best biofeedback scanner that you Hmm. could imagine. So, you know, we have all these things, devices we can buy and stuff to learn about our heart rate and our brain and our, these numbers, but poop is like your friend. It comes every day and tells you like, how your digestive tract is working. And there's many features to it that are visible to the human eye that we don't have to go to the doctor or even send in a lab for. Um, Like I do like sending in a lab because it kind of gives me the, the objective data that I'm looking for. But I had a friend, I have a friend who's a functional doctor and he said, I used to really rely on those poop studies, but he's like, now I just get what I need from the interview. I know what's going on. So um, Hmm. I think as you get better and better at your self-awareness and your understanding of what the GI tract is doing, you might actually need to rely on the poop testing less unless you're going into a more complex case where the poop testing can be really, really impactful. Um, Like I would say somebody with IBS or something like that, that's a very serious illness and you're trying to treat it from a functional way, you would want something more detailed, like a a real good poop sample study um, to work off of. But just for the day-to-day client and somebody who's saying like, you know, sometimes I feel bloated or I have acid reflux or whatever. I think um, the poop test is helpful, but not a necessity. So basically with looking at poop, you can, you can at least think of maybe four or five things that you could adjust um, based off of your pooping. Um, so we really want to see a daily bowel movement. It's, the system is very, it's very vibrant in that if you eat a punch one day, you may have two poops the next day, or if you're super active. So you have to leave a little room for variation. But in general, people may, we would want to see 
one per day. Um, and the beauty of that too is that, guess what, guys? A lot of the work in order to have that daily bowel movement happens with your sleep. So oh boy, here we go, sleep. back to sleep. So if you think about the word parasympathetic, the, para, the functions of the parasympathetic nervous system, we say rest, digest, recover. And then we just always say that, but we never think about digest. We just think about rest and recover. But digestion is mm. a function of the parasympathetic nervous system. So if you are running and gunning and you got high beta flying all over the place, you are not digesting your food well because digestion occurs in the parasympathetic phase. So I'm going to bring out another thing that is just so rudimentary to Royal Neuroscience and Inner Armor, and that is breathing. In order to move yourself into that more rest and digest state, you have to be a good breather. So sometimes I'll literally start with a client who's overwhelmed with the digestive stuff and instead of giving them like a list of food to eat and a list of rules about the food and stuff, I will work with the idea of how do you get into a calm state? How do you like, let's do you know anything about the breathing? How are you sleeping? Because if we don't have those as the basis, then I can have you eat the perfect diet and take the perfect supplements, but you have to get the system working in the right gear for those items to be mm. useful. So I don't know if I was answering your question super well no, there. I, I think that's great. And that, that explains sometimes like I've had um, like pro athletes that I work with that one of the first questions I'll ask him is, you know, what time of day do you have your bowel movement, which typically should come right after sleeping uh, sometime in the morning it has also to do with our release of certain hormones, cortisol and that kind of thing. And, you know, I've had some athletes, well, you know, I wake up at 1 a.m. and have a bowel movement. And like you said, I don't need an EEG. I don't need uh, hormone testing. I don't really need anything to say something's messed up with the sleep cycle because uh, the bowel movement, the timing of the bowel movement is very circadian. We've talked about circadian. And so when somebody tells me that their only bowel movement is happening early evening or just at some odd time, then I'm immediately backing into what's going on with, with the sleep, which is uh, super important. And um, can you tell the listeners, there's actually like a, it's still subjective, but a quantifiable way to look at poop uh, that a lot of doctors use. And I think you have a client right now that you were telling me yesterday is, is giving you this, this rating every single day. Can you kind of explain that? Yeah, listeners yeah. And what those ratings are and how they work. Yeah, it's it's the Bristol stool chart, and you've got to look it up because it comes with pictures and everything, and <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Um, but I I first heard of it when I was working in the hospital and working with children and guys. When you have kids that are not pooping regularly, that is the beginning of issues. Like you've got to address it right away because that if you can fix it or at least improve it as a child, you have the whole lifetime ahead of you with digestion that is is going to be impacted. Um, you got to think about something. Your human body from the time you started, but on a daily basis is hunting down calories to stay alive. And it's hunting down nutrients to make itself work well. The body is unbelievably interested in living. 
it will fight to the very last moment to find whatever nutrient it needs to keep going. And we've seen this through countless studies, but especially during like World War II and the survivors of the Holocaust, like how they stayed alive is beyond what we would normally see in science. But this ability for the body to calculate or figure out a way is just mind boggling. But so you got to think about that when you start your day, like, okay, what is my body hunting for? And we have this, this term in America that we're, we're obese, but we're nu- nutritionally starved. And so when I think about what I want to eat today, it starts with thinking about like what my body needs to begin with. Now, is there room for, you know, dark chocolate? Yes, there is. <laughs> But, um, but I, I want to give it the best things that it can function with. So I'm going to avoid a lot of processed food because that's a foreign, foreign language to what the body understands. Can it digest it? Yes, we can see that it can digest it and it can survive. But in order to be optimal, you want to send food through that your body understands. And in general, that would be more of the whole foods, things that are not processed are going to be much more understandable to the bodies reading it and trying to digest it but it also will break down better so that's one of my biggest principles is just trying to eat a whole food diet like the least amount of packaged things i can have in the house the better and that goes goes without saying like i know there's different diets where you want to calculate how many carbs and protein and fat and and things like that but i think i would go be before that or go upstream in your language and choose the things that are organic in nature and that our body, if you go back to, you know, the beginning of time, would have been familiar with. An apple, a banana, carrots, um, meat is even decent. It's a little hard to digest. So we should cut our meat in very small pieces and chew it very much. But um, meat is, we've become a big meat eating country, but meat in small portions can be very good. An egg, you know, these are things that are just in general, something your body can recognize very well and break down very well. Now, as soon as I say that there's going to (laughs) be a bad egg out there and, um, you know, a lot of all food has issues for all different people, but in general, general principles, because you were asking, you know, where, where do the problems start? And I kind of was giggling in my head thinking it starts with what we're sticking in our mouth. But so inflammation is where it starts being a problem in the gut tract. And that's in the generally in the small intestine um, where we get that leaky gut problem. The stuff above that, the stomach stuff is you're going to see the problem more in things like the gastric reflux or burping or things like that, where you're like, oh, we need to kind of think about the acid and whether we have enough acid and maybe like our grandmas used to drink a little slug of apple cider vinegar every morning to get the digestive engine running. You know, those are really great old school principles, but the food quality and the food types that we choose are what are probably the biggest culprit in the leaky gut stuff because it's coming from the body reacting to like, how do I just digest this? Like, for example, gluten is a known inflamer. Even in people that say like, I don't have a problem with bread. They've measured the blood 
inflammation markers and they always go up on everyone. They may go up at a subclinical level so that that person is, is actually speaking the truth. It doesn't bother me. But within their body, there is a reaction. So just being really careful with gluten. I don't, I'm not gluten free, but I do limit gluten definitely because just knowing what that study shows, I don't think it's probably the best for me. Dairy can be a problem, but primarily that's dairy in our country because we are very horrible to our cows. If I had a cow in my yard right now, I would drink its milk for sure. Um, I grew up in a foreign country, a third world country. Cows only ate grass there. So I was raised on grass-fed milk and never had a problem with it. But the grain-fed cows are sadly producing milk and milk products that can be very inflammatory to the body. And I think your guest, our daughter, will be talking a little bit about that in relation to omega-3, omega-6, and how that balance is so important to preventing inflammation um, or how it impacts inflammation. But I may be off on a segue there. No, I think that's fantastic. I think we're uh, coming towards a close and I think Greg's going to have something to say. Wow, this is uh, just an amazing conversation, Doc and Amy. But as I'm listening, I'm thinking about some other listeners out there, maybe regular listeners to the podcast. People have read the book, followed the videos or whatnot. And this has been sort of a good news, bad news conversation for them. (laughs) Because the good news is that it's opened their mind, expanded for them a whole new set of information, possibilities. The bad news is maybe that it's opened all these new variables that they have to worry about. So up until now, they've been worried about bear attacks. They've been worried about what ifs and what abouts. Now they're worried about whether their gut is leaking, whether they're chewing enough, how their poop is. So can you kind of land this for that listener who says, this is amazing, but now I have all these other things that I have to worry about. Where do they begin? Where do they start to address their autonomic nervous system's health, their well-being? Where do they start? Because now there's just so many more variables for them to be thinking about. Yeah, that is such a good question. And I hate to answer it this way, but in my experience, every person is different. There's like the person who wants to and is just dying to try you know, five new things at once. And then there's the person who is just barely making it. And if you told them five things, they're going to go sit in the corner. So everyone is different. And that makes it really hard to just give a broad statement. So I, that's why I like really love talking to people individually and kind of seeing where they're at. But I think that in general, I would say there is a lot of variability in that poop cycle. I would look into getting some help with that. So for example, if someone's like, I poop like every three days and even then it's horrible. Like um, it's, it's constipation. And then three days later, it's diarrhea. I would say to that person, I think you would benefit from looking into somebody in the functional world to help guide you along that, because that could be more than just two or three week fix there. But if it's more like, oh, I, you know, I'm burping all the time or after I went to Olive Garden, you know, I had diarrhea or something like that. Then it's more like, okay, let's talk about just some really good healthy um, habits. And we already said 
sleep, how are you sleeping? And we talked about breathing. So those are two really good areas to start because if they're one of our clients or interested in what we do, they already know a little bit about those two things and and the importance to the brain. So it's kind of like, oh, this is now I'm killing two birds with one stone. As far as diet is concerned, I think I already said like searching for whole foods, plant-based is really a good direction to go in. And like they say, shop the outside of the grocery store. Don't go in the middle because all that stuff in the middle is created to last a long time. It has a long shelf life and therefore it's a little harder to digest because it's made to last a long time. So um, typically I would avoid the middle of the grocery store or keep it to a minimum. It's great to have treats and treats have a place in mental health and optimization. So we keep treats, but we keep them for certain things and we enjoy them very much in that way. But um, I think that we can, Greg, you're exactly right, get really overwhelmed in the food space because in our country, food is an extremely successful industry. So like, I don't want to make people feel like there's need to run from one more thing, but the food industry is very deceiving and very confusing. And so that is, again, for me, another reason why I really recommend the Whole Foods because I don't need to see a label on an apple that says, you know, healthy, all natural, because it's obvious it's from nature. So I would just look more towards that. The other thing I would maybe recommend to listeners is to understand your fats. And hopefully um, you'll hear a little bit more about that when Doc talks with Dr. Weiringa, Kate, because she did research in fats. But I was amazed in learning about good fats and bad fats. And that's something you can just simply look up on a quick search on the internet. I love somebody named Dr. Kate. It's spelled C-A-T-E. She worked actually in the professional basketball, the NBA, the Lakers, I believe. But she is a beast about what to do with fat and optimization because she made it successfully into that space. So she's great. And I also love uh, Mark Sisson, Mark's Daily Apple. And he has incredible teaching about food and nutrition. What I would say probably lastly is you don't have to be like a genius scientist to eat right. It's really more like going back to what your grandma and grandpa had and um, just trying to stay away from the modern stuff because a lot of the modern inventions are very financially successful and very horrible for the human body. So that's probably not super encouraging. <laughs> it's, it's been great having Amy on uh, and you can see now who the real teacher is. Uh, I just parrot it out, but wonderful, wonderful stuff. But it is very deep. There's a lot going on here. And I would say the takeaway from that is there is a lot going on here. <laughs> okay, is we try to simplify, but the optimization of your brain and body, it's the most miraculous thing that exists in the universe. Okay. And for somebody like Amy to take us into a deep dive of the digestive system just further accentuates that is how amazing it is. Do we need to stress out about that? No, but we do need to be aware that what I'm choosing to put in 
has a big impact on how I control the autonomic nervous system. And uh, the nice thing about inner armor is it sets the base of these things that are upstream that can actually get your body to start to make better choices when you're in a more balanced state. And then in Royer Neuroscience, should you want to get a much deeper, I mean, Amy consults with a lot of people in more of a concierge level on the more intricacies of this. And that may not be for everybody, but we have resources to help you with this. If you say, wow, I think you just scratched an itch that I need to address, that we're not just sending you out there without anything. We actually do this uh, on the Royer Neuroscience side a lot. And we encourage you to reach out to us. We have tests that we can send to your home that help analyze this. I kind of leave the Uh, listeners with this note. For Christmas two years ago, our kids woke up to their stockings with all of them having a poop test in their stocking. And uh, we said, Amy said, this is what I want to give them. And uh, I said, nobody's going to use it. The day after Christmas, we hear people coming from all over the house with their kits and uh, all of the kids, spouses, everybody had done their poop test and it was pretty amazing. And everybody was different, just like all of us out there. We're all different. And some people really needed to address some things. And other people are like, hey, I just need to keep doing what I've been doing. I think in our next episode, we're really going to get into some of the intricacies of how the diet actually works in a positive or a negative way for us and maybe give us some more information on that. Wow, what a fascinating conversation. Thank you, Amy, for sharing all of that wisdom with us and all of your experience. And uh, we're looking forward to the next conversation, which will be the next episode with Dr. Kate Wieringa, who's going to take us into a deep dive into the chemistry of this, especially with omega-3 versus omega-6 fats and so on and so forth. And and you're not going to want to miss that episode. If you'd like to learn more, uh, make sure you read the book, ForgeYourInnerArmor.com, available in print, ebook, and audiobook at Amazon.com. And go to ForgeInnerArmor.com to learn more about how to utilize the Inner Armor program and Royer Neuroscience. So continue to forge your inner armor in every way that you can. This has been the Inner Armor Podcast. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Would you please follow or subscribe and make sure to leave us a review or comment. You can learn more about Inner Armor, Dr. Royer, and how to perform at your potential by going to forgeinnerarmor.com.